everybody, and welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review TV shows that lasted one season or less. They, they are dead, dead, dead ski, and we're here to essentially do autopsies of television culture. Yes. Were, did, they, did they deserve this fate, or were they canceled too soon? <laughs> so, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, slip, out, slip out of character. Yeah, we're gonna, we're yeah, into no. it now. Right, we okay. are, uh, my name is William Bibiani. <laughs> I am the film critic for Crave Online. I also work for ComingSoon.net, Blumhouse.com. Uh, I've done some stuff for What the Flick, and of course I am the co-host of the B-Movies podcast with my faithful uh, uh, you can friend. Call, you can call me sidekick, it's I was going to say hetero life mate. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, the, the, we're, we're life mates, we just don't have sex. There you go. But much to the chagrin of some of our listeners, I'm sure. Uh, my name yes. is... Uh, <laughs> they, they've expressed it quite clearly. Well, it, it's it's comforting to know that we have listeners that are into us in a sexual way. Uh, my oh, name you is, just wh- opened us up to this barrage of tweets. Oh, it's fine. Okay, good. Uh, I like him too. My name is Whitney Seibel. Uh, I am also a film critic at uh, at Crave Online. I am the film critic for Legion of Leia. I also write for Blumhouse.com. And, uh, and the B-Movies uh, and Podcast. The B- and I'm the co-host of the B-Movies Podcast. And uh, welcome to Cancel Too Soon. Yeah, this is the second episode of our show. Uh, the first episode uh, is out. Uh, and it had got really great response. Actually, everyone who listened to it seemed to like it. Okay, we got some nice comments. So uh, let's so hope, lots of words let's, of encouragement. Let's hope we got we won you back for yeah. the second episode, and uh, let's hope we don't scare you off with uh, my special selection. If this you week. don't uh, follow us for updates, you can follow us. We have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash canceled too soon. That's canceled with one L. Uh, and also at the moment we're, we we do have a Twitter account set up for Cancel Too Soon but we're not doing anything with it yet we need to build that up a bit uh, for now for updates you can follow us at B Movies Podcast where you can also uh, catch updates on our weekly movie show uh, so this last episode we did a one episode wonder called Puchinski mm-hmm. which was just awful well, it, it, just it, an awful show more, more <laughs> just than, an embarrassing m- show more than awful it was just baffling uh, it, yeah. it, it, it's like somebody made a pilot on a dare it's like one of, <laughs> one of those things you'd see as a spoof on the Simpsons like in one scene and somebody said hey why don't we just make a show out of that let's you get know, Peter Boyle to play a dog cop you know what it is it's like the producers if we make a show as bad as Puchinski somehow we're making more money like I don't know how the scheme worked well, but I think, I think I think the network got scammed on that one Maybe so. Yeah. This week's show is better. Yes, it actually was a good idea. It, At least the idea was. It, it was a good idea, and we're going to go over whether or not this one deserved to be canceled too soon. And this was my own choice. This I wanted to your, do this one. Yeah, you nerded out uh, on this one. When we talked about doing this, we're like, oh, can we do this one? And the answer was yes. Uh, and there's no point in beating around the bush since you can see the title uh, wherever you're watching this package. <laughs> uh, it's the show Perversions of Science, which despite its Skinamax title, was actually a glossy HBO show. It, from 1997. It, it was an HBO show that was produced by the same production team that put together Tales from the Crypt. And this is high-quality uh, people. This is Academy Award winner Robert Zemeckis uh, was, and Joel it was, Silver uh, and Walter Joel, Hill. Walter Hill, uh, Rob Geiler, and one other guy. <laughs> I forgot the, the well, actual... Yeah, but Robert Zemeckis was involved in this. Zemeckis, yeah. Deal. And those were the same guys who came up with Tales from the Crypt. Exactly. And uh, they Tales from the Crypt was such a giant at the time. It, which is weird. People don't really talk about it the, as successful as it was. Yeah. 
yeah. anymore. And uh, so they were trying to come up with a lot of spinoffs. There was well, an animated series. There was. Called Tales, Tales from, from the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, uh, which was there a terrible was, idea. And that also got canceled real fast. You might do that at some uh, point. No, actually, that, that one lasted three seasons. Did it really? In fact, it lasted two seasons, and then they brought it back like five years later. It was really strange. Yeah. Uh, there was a game show, which I have un- been unable to track down. But I really want to see uh, That's Secrets of the Crypt Keeper's Haunted House. Uh, I don't know if I can sit through and like a whole season's worth of game show episodes for this podcast, kid, but if we find the right one, we might. A kid game show based on Tales from the Crypt is like where I go when I die if I'm very, very good. You know, this 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 is, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, there was one called Two-Fisted Tales that they ended up, they made, shot three episodes of that and... They ended up using they them, ended up as, using Tales them as Tales from the Crypt episodes. Well, and, and one of them then, is actually one of the best Tales from the Crypt yeah, episodes. Yellow. Yellow. Yellow is one of the best episodes of the yeah, show. Yeah, with, Loy- with um, um, uh, was it Lloyd Brick? No. Um, it was with Kirk, uh, Kirk Douglas. Douglas. Yes, Kirk Douglas and Michael Douglas directed it, mm. uh, and boy, was that amazing. For those who may not have been around when Tales from the Crypt was around, um, which can, was which you, is eighty nine to ninety six, you can you can find this on DVD, but it's not like on HBO Go or anything, which is really frustrating. It's supposed mm. to have every HBO show. They don't have it. They also don't have perversions of science. Uh, <laughs> this was a show that was based on these extremely graphic, uh, very almost very very short story driven comic books in the 1950s and that a lot of them had twist endings and very direct yeah. well, morals uh, and it was very th- much like uh, like uh, the twilight zone in that that regard yeah. it was it was an anthology they were hosted by like th- one of three ghoulish figures which mm-hmm. ended up kind of turning into the crypt keeper in the tv show well yeah but a lot of them and, had uh, like their own there was like the hills from the vault as well they had each yeah. had their own little well there, there was there were shock suspense stories and uh the guy who uh published all of these a guy named william gaines also went on to do mad magazine so he's essentially a god uh <laughs> Uh, w- was very fond of these very extreme things that really pushed the envelope in what comics were doing at the time. So they're very, very gory. And in fact, they pushed uh, the envelope too far, and the government said, well, we need to censor this, and that led to the production, uh, to the Comics Code. The Comic which, Code Authority. Which, and that's, uh, that's the reason still why... still on comic no, books to this day? it was always, it was like, it's it's like the MPAA. Technically speaking, it was always optional. Mm. They, the, the, the industry decided to self-censor itself so that the government wouldn't come in and do it for them, and then it got phased out over time okay but the reason why we have com- we have stuff like the fantastic four mm-hmm. and spider-man and a lot of these superhero stories that we now like is because ec comics were so damned gory <laughs> and so incredibly successful mm-hmm. that the oh, other yeah, they companies- were wildly successful these yeah, things they made it they, they were really popular they were so successful the other companies worked together to censor them create a system of censorship so that so that seriously even like the word weird couldn't be mm. in a title like that what does that even mean that's stupid uh, so that EC comics would die, but then the only thing that could get made was stuff like romance comics mm. and cowboy comics and, and well, then superhero and, and, comics. Yeah, tales of heroism and that, yeah. those turned from stuff like detectives like The Shadow into mm. the costume vigilante we know today. But in the late 80s, HBO, which was well, still the, getting... The, the a, generation who was reading those comics yes. grew up and decided to make a TV program out of this. Yes. HBO offered this brand new venue for TV producers to do more extreme television. So you could have gore and nudity on TV HBO and, and words. HBO was not the classy network it, it, it is now. It was, yeah, it this had, was, it this had was like before, sex comedies like Dream On. Th- this was pre-Sopranos was the turning point for them. This was pre-Sopranos. The entire run of Tales I would argue Oz was, was the oh, pre-turning so, yeah. point. But regardless, yeah, they got classy. But in like the 80s, and they were still doing sitcoms. They had some good sitcoms. But Tales from the Crypt became this kind of camp show showcase it was almost like the old batman series in the 1960s where no one took it 
too seriously, but seriously, everyone did them. Like Demi Moore it was, and it was like Douglas and Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was before Law and Order was around, this yeah. be- this became the hoop through which every actor must jump at mm-hmm. some point. And everybody did an episode of Tales from the Crypt. They got some classy directors. They approached a lot of classy directors who turned them down. Sure. Uh, there's a story where they actually came to Martin Scorsese. They said, hey, would you want to do an episode? He's like, no, I don't want to do Tales from the Crypt. And they almost had him because they were on their way out. It's like, well, okay, well, thanks for talking to us and he says you know there's this one issue i remember reading when i was a kid that was that would make a really good episode and they almost had him but he ended up saying no in any case tell but zemeckis did a bunch tom yes. hanks directed an episode schwarzenegger directed an episode it's not a bad episode, it's not a bad episode. uh but tales from the crypt lived out a very natural life and then died you know, mm-hmm. it got canceled. It did like 90 episodes or something. It was a lot. Yeah, seven-season show. Yeah. Uh, and they tried to keep that ball rolling with a series called Perversions of Science, which was actually originally going to be called Weird Science, based mm-hmm. off of the comic book Weird Science. But by that point, there had been an Oingo Boingo song. Mm-hmm. There had been the John Hughes movie. And I think that it already spun off into a sitcom by that point. Or there was, was about there was to. Always a, there, there was a Weird Science sitcom at one yeah, point. On the and, USA Network with Vanessa the, Angel. <laughs> <laughs> the idea, though, was that they were going to take uh, the science fiction stories of William Gaines, the same publisher, the same EC Comics, and uh, do the exact same thing. And in fact, the parallels between Tales from the Crypt and Perversions of Science are legion. Well, and uh, it's in, right, you can tell it's intentional. They're trying to create yeah, yeah. the exact same dynamic. Uh, so the, the dynamic, even the theme song is the same. It's like a slow zoom through an eerie genre-themed landscape <laughs> to some Danny Elfman music. Danny Elfman Eventually settle, settling on the uh, the host of the show. And I'm sorry, the the theme song to Perversions mm. of Science is very, it's, it seems like, it's, I'm pretty sure Mars Attacks came out in 1996. Yeah. It's an outtake from Mars Attacks. It's got that theremin. It's, well, I mean, to be fair, a lot of science fiction music was doing that, but it, it's... Dan- yeah, a lot of times fiction was ripping off Danny Elfman, and so was Danny Elfman. D- Danny Elfman... Well, Danny Elfman, when he didn't want to do something, would just reuse his old music. Exactly. Uh, case in point, Dilbert. Uh, he did the theme song to the Dilbert uh, animated series, and it turns out that's just a riff from Forbidden Zone from like 20, nice. from twenty years earlier. Nice, but yeah, uh, the, so the, the, the 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 opening credits of Perversions of Science. Um, we we if you want to follow along with us on Perversions of Science or any of our episodes, <laughs> the stuff we do, most of it's going to be available on DVD. Some of it's not, and so we have to find it on like YouTube. Go to YouTube if you're if you have the means. If you're not in your car right now. Watch the opening credits of Perversions of Science, because this is the weirdest thing. The, the opening of Tales from the Crypt is uh-huh. kind of this classic, wonderful horror theme. It goes into we, a haunted house yeah. and down into the basement. Yeah, you're slowly going to one creepy place after another, and then the, the coffin opens up, and the Crypt Keeper laughs, and it's scary. And boom, there mm. you go. And it's cool, and it makes sense, because you're going deeper and deeper and deeper into horror. Perversions of Science makes a lot less sense. So it opens in a suburban neighborhood, oh. which is kind of like the HBO like logo used to open at the time. <laughs> it starts in a suburban neighborhood, and the camera goes into a suburban house where they're letting kids watch Tales from the Crypt. And I'm uh, like, that's already questionable parenting. But mm. regardless, because Tales from the Crypt was boobs and blood on yeah, that no, But, you know, kids somehow got their hands on that stuff. I watched I, it when I was in like junior high and school. And if kids so, yeah. were watching it without their parents, I'd say fine. But this is like a family 
viewing Yeah, thing. I suppose so. That's All not right. something you watch with your and family. Then, so they're watching Tales of the Crypt, and then a kid drops the popcorn, and the camera mm-hmm. zooms into a popcorn kernel, mm-hmm. and then Keeps inside the popcorn... zooming in and yeah. zooming into, like, atomic level, and we see the particles spinning around inside yes. the popcorn, and we and zoom then, into one of the particles. And then there's, like, a And the particle is a planet, and yes. we zoom in onto this planet. And there's, there's a futuristic there's a, city. There's a lake in the shape of a human, and they zoom in on the coast of the lake, and there's this big city with flying cars. They and zoom it looks down like through crap, because it's 90 it's CGI. 90 CG. It's, it's really low budget. CG, and then they move yeah. it, and then they zoom into a sex shop where a sex robot named Chrome, who looks, <laughs> I'm sorry, terrible. Chrome, Chrome always was, looked terrible. Chrome was not a good design, and Chrome was not well animated. Yeah, that's Chrome, kind of a pity. So she, she looks like the, the that robot from Metropolis, but like before she became a person, or like in the halfway state, and she's kind, kind she's, of cover kind of half. Sex doll, half RoboCop. And really she unsettling. talks like this. She she talks. Mm, she talks her like versions a, of science. She talks like a phone sex operator. That's and uh, we zoom into her. She pushes uh, the her nipple button. Yes. Her breast opens up, and that's where the title appears. Okay, so this show takes place <laughs> inside the breast of a sex robot, inside a sex shop, inside a futuristic city, inside a planet, inside mm. an atom of a popcorn kernel, inside a suburban house. Makes you think, doesn't it? No, it does not. <laughs> makes me want to turn off my brain entirely. It's very odd. And I think that's kind of like... I don't know. I almost wonder if that's even like from the get-go. This is perversions of science. This feels like a little less well thought out. Because there's a lot less... I'm sorry, these episodes are kind of all over the place. They're really all over the map. It's a complete, really, really, there were only 10 episodes aired. Oh, what, what were the dates on this one? It was in uh, June 97. This was from June 7th to July 23rd, 1997. So yeah, very brief span, 10 episodes, really uneven. And I think HBO like made the title sequence before they really knew what the show was. Yeah. Because you can they're tell that- all that sexy, I mean, some of them are, but- They got this, this sexy- uh, phone sex operator voiced sex robot to narrate the show and the logo even has a breast in it yeah. like it has this like sort of spinning well, electron with perversions in it it's it's the word it yeah the, like word, the word show. perversions and it's all very breast oriented and i think that the hbo thought that it was going to be like sexier more like skinamax yeah red and shoe diaries kind of program. exactly I and and there was there was some nudity throughout but not a yeah. copious amount yeah it wasn't a, it wasn't all tales of erotica in fact and, most of them weren't in fact uh, only one i think was just sort of an outright sex tale the one with kevin pollack uh, i would uh, say the yancey butler one is oh yeah the yancey butler one yeah is there's good at least too. two. Oh, and actually yeah. no there's three i think there's at least three but right. regardless oh uh, chrome by the way was voiced by an actress named maureen teefy uh we uh, invited her onto the show, but she never got back to us. What she, a pity! She has other. things I'm sure to she do. has other things to do. She didn't yes. say no. She just ignored me. That's but uh, uh, she doesn't know who you are. You're no one. To I, her. I'm no one to her. You're a, she probably she, gets guys like you every. I'm week. sure she does. And Maureen Tifi, please just call me. You might know her from the movie Supergirl. She played Supergirl's best friend. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, that's oh. that's her. The voice of Chrome. It was like a uh, wasn't that like Lois Lane's sister? Uh, yeah, it was like Lo- Lana Lane. Louis 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 No, Lo- Lord. What was it with the double L alliteration in Superman? I comic? think it started off as just random, and then when Supergirl ended up becoming Linda Lee, mm-hmm. they called attention to it, and then like Lana Lang. I think it started off as a coincidence, and they decided to make it a thing after yeah, that. Yeah, Lana Lang, Lex Luthor. Lo- anyway. Very, very in any case, we have, uh, in our first episode, mm. tried to establish a sort of a format for this show mm. uh, in which we talk about the history of a show, then we review the show, and then we spend the last part.
part of the program uh, talking about where we think the show could have gone. And in the second episode, we have to throw that right out the yeah, window. Because it's, it's an, an anthology show. Not only is it an anthology series, but it's an anthology series in which all of the episodes are based off pre-existing comic books. Right. Much like Tales from the Crypt. So our pitches are basically worthless. <laughs> so what we're going to do instead is we're going to look at this entire series, all- not in order, but in terms of how we would rank them. Yeah. You you came up with so, your ranking. I came up with mine. They were mostly similar. There's some you liked more than I did and vice right. versa. Uh, the top two were our top two regardless, and our bottom mm. two were the bottom two regardless, yeah. I think. Because uh, the bad ones suck. The ba- oh, gosh. Don't they ever. Uh, so, But uh, uh, let's let's start with the bad, and we'll work our way up uh, to the good. I think uh, we both agree that the absolute nadir of perversions mm. of science is an episode called Anatomy Lessons. Anatomy Lesson makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, it it's, uh, has Jeremy London, uh, Jeff Fahey is his dad, and... Uh, or Fred. not, Jeff Fahey's not his dad. Jeff Fahey is this mysterious figure. But uh, yeah, who directed it? Uh, this was Gilbert Adler. Gilbert Adler. Uh, yeah, who was who, is, uh, who also uh, he was a prolific was a producer, producer yeah. produced the series, uh, and that's kind of what he did most of. He directed Bordello of Blood. I think that's his biggest directorial uh, effort. A movie that nobody likes but me. Strangely enough, I yeah. I love Bordello of Blood, but I'm, I'm I, twisted I, it's that okay. way. It's just no Demon Knight. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I I would put him on the same level, but You're I'm wrong. the only one. You're wrong about uh, a lot of things. But Anatomy Lesson, Jer- we we start with Jeremy London's childhood. His dad is a, a pathologist of some sort who cuts up animals, and he becomes obsessed with the image of cutting up animals. And this mysterious figure played by Jeff Fahey appears throughout his life, giving these weird portents about his future. Yeah. And as he gr- he grows into uh, Jeremy London, he begins to become obsessed with, like, sort of cutting people, and it's looking like he wants to start murdering people. Yeah, he's like, a he's, serial killer he's, in waiting. He's, he's, a, he's an at-risk serial and, killer. Yeah. And, uh, and, the then, big, and um, the big twist at the end, and I'm gonna, well, we're going to give away the twists of all of these. We're going to give away the twists, because you're not, because seriously, this isn't even on DVD. <laughs> uh, here's the deal. So he's about to commit his first kill, and then Jeff Fahey kind of stops him or whatever and they have this really confusing conversation and then it turns out what happens uh it turns out chef Fahey was like a robot from space like he he gets burned and his flesh burns off and he's this robot and you can see his brain and it turns out that he was sort of this genetic mistake by these aliens who had been planting people on the planet. And one of them was his and, mom. Yeah, one of them, like, his dad wasn't. Like they were trying know. to raise him to be a certain type of serial killer. I'm not exactly it's, sure. It's, it's very, really unclear. It's, that's the thing. And, uh, when you're doing this short form, you know, gotcha, Twilight Zone, O. Henry kind of story, you can't be confused. <laughs> I mean, like, that's wait, the thing. Like, a lot of the, some of the, some so the, of the, yeah, the last, stories here are kind of on the nose but, and obvious, but you're not confused. The last shot was like a, a flying saucer above his house. And they said, now we have to serial kill you and vivisect you. Irony question mark. Uh, no, it's, know. it's unclear. It's badly written. It's yeah. not even very well acted. You know, Jeremy yeah. London doesn't well, no know one, what he's doing. No and Jeff Fahey he doesn't know what his character is. No you know, one knows what their character is. I, hmm. I spent the entire episode not clear whether Jeremy London, is it Jeremy or Jason? Jeremy. Is it Jeremy in that one? Okay, we're going. Yeah. I spent the entire episode not clear as to whether he wasn't a serial killer yet or if he had been a serial killer for a while. Yeah, and yeah. I, it's really vague. You just can't do it. It's just this. I'm sorry. This episode's crap. It's, it's absolute crap. Like there's yeah. really not a saving grace to it. 
It, it feels like one of those movies where like a studio came in and changed the ending and then another studio came in and changed the ending a second time. So you were left with like three disparate things. I was really worried when I, cause I, I it turned out I had seen one episode. No, I'd seen two episodes of the show without realizing and thinking I'd, I'd seen oh, wow, okay. the crypt episode. Okay. Uh, but uh, for the most part, I really didn't know the show. Mm. All I knew was you really wanted to, to, to watch it. Yes. So I watched them in order. Mm. And it turns out the first two episodes of this show are the worst episodes. And I can yeah, totally see yeah, why they I really didn't find are. an audience because they did not leave. Well, they didn't and, have to do them in this order either. I would have stuck these in the and middle. The, the pilot for this, just like the pilot for Tales from the Crypt mm-hmm. and Two-Fisted Tales, were uh, like the comics, a triptych. They were going to do three episodes in one evening. Yeah. And it was meant to play sort of as one gigantic episode. Yeah. Uh, and so the first three, you put them together. The third one's okay, but yeah, yeah the first two are just... Yeah. Awful. And so the, the very first episode of Perversions of Science is our pick for the second worst episode of Perversions uh. of Science. It's called Dream of Doom, directed by Walter Hill, who is no slouch. Walter Hill directed The Warriors and Southern Comfort. He helped create Deadwood. He he's did Streets amazing. of Fire. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. a really good director. And it was uh, written by David Goyer, who would go on to write Batman Begins <laughs> and Blades. So there's a good pedigree on this. And this one isn't... Terrible. It's well, just kind could, of unnecessarily this confusing. One, this one does at least have an idea behind it. The yeah. idea is uh, Keith Carradine uh, plays a, a teacher. A professor. Who, a professor who's yeah. been using some sort of experimental drugs to explore dreams. And this is one of those frustrating things, episodes. And every TV series that's vaguely genre-ish does a tends dream to have a dream episode where... And the twist is always somebody... W- like, they wake up within the dream maybe several times. Mm-hmm. And these episodes are always frustrating because there's no stakes if you know they're in a dream the entire time there's nothing shocking about all of the shocking things that happen yeah you so don't really work overtime to make he, that work he's starting to flip back and forth between realities and you're never well, sure like which woman is his wife well, or which job is his that's the thing is there's never and, like there's never like a starting point yeah you catch him mid-dream now there's actually a really great twilight zone episode that plays out a lot like this but it doesn't like flit back and forth as quickly so you start getting your bearings but it also raises a question there's this Twilight Zone episode and it has like James Earl Jones in it mm. about a guy who's on death row and he's telling everyone it doesn't matter if, I, if I'm executed it's all a dream if I die I'm just gonna wake up but then next time you'll be the judge and I'll be the prosecuting attorney and this guy will be like it won't matter mm. like and then and you spend the entire episode not knowing if he's just gonna die if it's gonna be a dream it turns out it was a dream interesting idea here there's no setup it's just constant dream imagery his wife and his like college age lover who's in his class are maybe the same person or maybe they're different people his wife is is Lolita Davidovich by the way yeah sometimes she's his his therapist sometimes she's his wife and you start getting this idea that there is some something really tragic going on here that this guy's life has in some way imploded mm. in reality that he's lost his job he committed plagiarism but th- on a paper but there's not anything to really denote what those things are just that yeah. it's this vague dread now if this was a feature film and it was like sort of vague dread throughout and you actually were able to point to it a little bit more strongly you might have a kind of good psychological thriller if they weren't constantly fixated on yanking the rug out this from is like you. waking life uh, with nothing on its mind exactly <laughs> And then it has, I guess it's a twist ending that maybe it wasn't his dream at all. But then I don't know if that, that's a dream either. And well, I don't, he, the, the, huh? the, the, twist, the twist ending is he figures that if he kills himself in the dream, he'll wake up. And when he kills himself, it turns out that was when he was awake. So um, that's what I took from it. I took from it's it hard that to he tell. killed himself and it turns out that he killed himself. But all it did was make his wife realize that she was the one having the dream all along. 
Oh, I thought that he just thought he was dreaming all the time, so when he finally went to kill himself, he was awake. Okay, again, ambiguity. You yeah. can't do it in these. It doesn't so, work. So, yeah, we're, we're set off on these two really shaky episodes. Yeah. And then this third episode, mm-hmm. uh, like the third worst episode, uh, was the last episode of the series. Uh, you like this one more than I did. This I did, yeah. This, this one's, one's pretty good. The People's Choice. It was directed mm-hmm. by Russell Mulcahy, who you'll know from uh, Highlander. He directed the first Highlander. <laughs> so it's got a good pedigree, and it's a neat idea. It takes place in this sort of 1950s sci-fi future. It takes place in in Edward Scissorhands, essentially. It's that, that kind of really squares, exaggerated suburbia, which was really hip throughout the 80s and early 90s. Pee-wee's Playhouse, Cool mm. as Ice, Edward Scissorhands, boom, that's mm. where this takes place. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's about this guy, and he's got this very, you know, nuclear family, and everyone in town has... Uh, a, a living grandmother. Yes, a living grandmother who is a robot. Mm-hmm. And he, they've got like this but, old but model the, robot. The design of the robots is, you know, they're not just grandmothers. They all wear similar dresses and they have these really wild beehive hairdos, like B-52s style the, they hairdos. They look like Marge Simpson's mom. Like, that's what they look like. Yeah. And, and so... He's got an older model, and there's this big rivalry between him and his asshole neighbor. It's keeping up with the Joneses stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, you know, yeah, well, my hedge cutter's even better than yours. has got all these buttons. Mm. And this guy's like, well, my hedge cutters were meh. And then he turns out that at night, for for some reason, we'll discover it eventually, all the maids have, like, fight clubs together and, like, well, beat each other up, so they had to constantly upgrade. The problem is they get to this point too late in the episode, and this is kind of the point of the episode, is the companies that are making these robots are forcing them to fight so they'll destroy each other, making the families buy more. And, you know, criticism of the way corporate structure works. That's actually kind of an interesting idea. But, the entire- but then it turns out that the corporations yeah. were run by evil aliens who want people to get such powerful robots robots that they'll just take over humanity yeah uh one twist too many especially if they're both right at the end they're both they're both right at the end and the which means the point isn't quite made plus this has been made in better movies like throughout the 1980s there are all kinds of weird sort of consumer culture i have criticisms three uh, words for you Hmm. Cherry 2000. <laughs> Cherry 2000, which, okay, Cherry 2000 used to be everywhere. Hmm. If you haven't seen Cherry 2000 or if you haven't seen Cherry 2000 recently, stop what you're doing. <laughs> Get Cherry 2000. Cherry 2000 is a post-apocalyptic action thriller about a guy whose sex robot breaks down. And it turns out that in the future, like, romance is so dead, people bring their lawyers to bars to flirt with people so that they can <laughs> arrange what's going to go hmm. on in each date. So he decides to go off into the wasteland to get a new operating system for his sex robot, and a hot young Melanie Griffith is there to help him here, get his thing. sex robot back, and it's fantastic. That that sort of like anti-business sentiment played really well in the fifties because it was right after World War II and consumer culture was just exploding, and the economy was and the booming. economy was booming. Yeah. So uh, people were turning toward consumption to mm-hmm. define themselves. So it makes sense that that should be satirized. Nineteen eighties Reagan era. Say- Back, back again. Back, was Still back worked. again. The sort of con- uh, visible consumption of all things. We're living through it now, but I'm not seeing a lot of satire anymore. Yeah, and um, it's not quite the same. And in the '90s, it was downright retro. Well, which is in, why in, this in the episode... ni- yeah, in the '90s, it wasn't quite as big. Uh, 
Yeah. The 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 par- the satire was a lot more broad in the nineties. So uh, yeah, the, to People bring were this inward more in the nineties. Yeah, to bring this back in the late nineties feel yeah, it feels like a throwback to the nineteen eighties. Yeah. And it feels like Russell Mulcahy was trying to take the curse off of it by making it really hyper stylized, and mm. instead it's just an assault. The majority <laughs> of these episodes, even when they're stylized, you can get a hold on something. There's an element of reality to them, even the crap ones. Uh, people's choice is just there's nothing like it in the series, mm. but not in a good way, not in an exciting, <laughs> how creative way. In a well, you needed to calm the hell down I, kind of way. I do appreciate the energy of it, and I like some of the messages in it, just because I'm so fond of that sort of yeah. that that form of satire. But yeah, it's not great. Right. Well, tell me about there's an episode that you liked a lot less than I did yeah. uh, called Snap Ending. Uh-huh. Uh, this was an episode directed by Sean Astin, who mm. of Lord of the Rings fame. Actor Sean Astin, uh, who appears in the in it, but it's actually Will Wheaton's story. Yeah, so, so um, it's it's completely generic. I found nothing to really take away from this. Well, tell uh, people it's, what it is. It's about young cadets on a spacecraft who uh, get word that something horrible is about to happen. Well, no, there's there's an infection uh, on the ship, there's, there's, and they can't find what's infected. That's right. one of one of the crew members is infected, but the ship can't determine who it is, or even if it is or, them, it might be like some bit of biomatter yeah, so in like a room. Somewhere. They they start scrubbing down the ship, and as they keep on looking for this virus, you know, like clocks start counting down in their heads, and they yeah. get really stressed out. And they yeah, and like after a uh, while, the ship is going to self destruct if they can't mm. find it. And Will Wheaton and Will, Will Wheaton, his mind. Will Wheaton starts losing his mind, and he figures if he starts murdering people, he'll definitely find out what it is. He kills the entire crew, and the ship says, we still detect a virus. He says, it can't be me, because I was was cleared, and then a buzzer goes off and says, well, good job, that was all a drill, and uh, you're all safe now. So that was just to test how well you do under panic situations. And Will Wheaton (laughs) says, but I just did this in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. What are you talking about? (laughs) Maybe that's why I liked it more, because I don't... Oh, wait! This is the one where he was in Starfleet. That's right. But it wasn't the same. It wasn't. But here's the thing. It was the exact same sort of test. It was the same same actor. It was the same sort of test. But this is the very cynical version of it in which we're going to put humanity to the test in an isolated microcosm and watch humanity fail. (laughs) Star Star Trek is about watching humanity overcome its base nature. This is about watching it implode, which is why even though I saw the ending coming a mile away, They did a decent job because the, the story actually opens with it turns out to be completely unrelated to what's going on. Sean Astin is one of the astronauts, and there's a problem with his suit as he's coming in, and he's going to depressurize, and his like head explodes. Oh. So that tells you right off the bat this is not it's, a, it's a high stakes. There's a high stakes situation. Yeah, environment. And I think it's actually directed with a lot of tension. The problem is just that the twist is incredibly obvious. Mm. If the twist was less obvious, and I don't know how to fix that problem, I honestly don't. <laughs> this would have been a lot better. But if so, if you've never seen a TV show before, this is gangbusters. But I think Sean Astin did a really solid job with it. I think the acting is pretty good. Um, it just, it's a good little pop boiler. Mm. So I kind of liked it, but it's not great. I'm not gonna, it didn't end up, I think it was my number five right. on my personal list. Uh, let's see, number six, The Ultimate Weapon. Which one was The Ultimate Weapon? The Hold worst on, titled it one. It was yeah. uh, about... There's a, there's oh, a, this one was really fun. It's about a young woman yeah. who thinks aliens are trying to attack her, and it turns out they're actually just trying to impregnate her. And it becomes this wacky sitcom where the it's, aliens are impersonating everyone she knows. It's, it's sometimes a, more than one at a, a time. A bedroom. It's a British bedroom farce with shape shifting aliens. Yeah. So we have Heather Langenkamp. We have her abusive husband, whom Heather Langenkamp from Nightmare from uh, Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. And uh, and her abusive husband. And two aliens all end up 
in in the same house together. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has brought a man home because she kicked her husband out, and maybe she's going to cheat on her husband right before the divorce. Well, she's even talking to her to her girlfriends at a bar, saying, mm-hmm. and their girlfriends are just like, "Well, who would you like to cheat on your husband with? I know you wouldn't." And she describes this guy from high school, and mm-hmm. then immediately these alien shapeshifters like look him up, mm-hmm. show up as him, oh. and try to seduce her, and then it turns out she never made it with him because she thought he was gay. And <laughs> well, so, well, he, he and the aliens he, misunderstand the word gay, so they're just like, "Well, I'm just so gay." And they're just really happy <laughs> well, about so, being hetero. And, and and as the episode progresses, hilarity ensues. So yeah. you know, the, the aliens begin changing shape halfway through. The parents show up. The best friends show up. The aliens start changing to all these different people to try to keep things under control. And the big twist at the end is at the very end when two people finally do fall in bed together. It's just the two aliens. <laughs> the aliens got so confused they had sex with each other, which admittedly is a good twist. This <laughs> episode is actually a great idea, probably even a great script. The problem with this episode is that there's so many different moving parts. It's actually hard to tell what's going on. It's like oh, the I, mid- I could tell who was an alien and who wasn't. Yeah. Who, I always know who's an alien. I don't mm. necessarily know which alien is which. For example, oh, well, when true. you're watching Midsummer Night's Dream, for example, the ultimate like mistaken, you know, uh, I not necessarily identity, but everyone's in love for the wrong reasons. Mm. Comedy. Um, you always know who wants who and why and who they're supposed to be with. Mm. That part's always clear. It's the characters who are confused, and I'm never the audience. Here, I'm confused. I'm like, wait, which one is she talking to? Is the, <laughs> is the alien at the bar the same alien? Yeah, you, you, you just you just need one little little. Din- like one of them wears a green headband. It you know, let, let us know. Yeah. yeah, it needed to be a little clear. If it had been a little clear, this would have been way higher. I think on, okay. on both of our lists because it's not bad. It's not bad. And we're starting to get to the ones that are actually decent. Yeah. Uh, number five is one I liked more than you. This is plainly possible, which brings back George Newbern from Puchinski. <laughs> so George Newbern has... We were looking has... up other George Newbern shows. Turns out he was in a one-season wonder called Courthouse. We probably so, can't track it down, but we'll get to it. <laughs> so jo- George Newbern is provi- providing fertile ground for shows that died quickly. Can- Cancel uh, too soon. Thanks, you. Thank you, George Newbern. We'll get you on the show at some point. Ooh, um, he voiced Superman. Uh, George and Newbern Ren from Pirates of Darkwater, <laughs> which did, was canceled too soon, but did last more than one season. Yeah. Sorry, we're, we can't talk about Pirates of Darkwater. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, George Newbern plays a man who recently lost his wife, who was played by Elizabeth Berkley, uh, of Showgirls fame. Showgirl, who yeah, who just coming off of Showgirls, so this is like the best she can get right about now. Uh, poor, poor, poor <laughs> Elizabeth Berkley. George but, Newbern uh, runs she, into he go, he goes into Chevelli. Vincent Chevelli, who is when when he appears on screen, you can just rub your hands and say, "Oh, good. Oh, thank goodness." Vincent Chevelli, however, is one of those character actors that more people know by his look than by his face. He's mm. probably most famous as the by, subway ghost in Ghost. No, no, by his look than by his face. That's what you said. Yes, <laughs> and by his name. By his name. Most people don't know his name. You've seen Vincent Chevelli. You, you love you, Vincent. Chevelli. You know Vincent Chevelli. Yeah, he was even in Star Trek: The Next Generation. Everyone uh, was in Star Trek: The Next Generation, you're, you're usually right, twice, <laughs> especially around this era because that had also just recently gone off the air. Exactly. But uh, So George Newbert runs into Vincent Savelli who is like a theoretical physicist who has come up with a way to go to alternate dimensions in what in which theoretically George Newbern's wife might still be alive mm. and George Newbern agrees to be his guinea pig. And he goes to a, a dimension where his wife is still alive, but it turns out in that dimension, she's still alive, but she's also a triffid. Well, that's not even <laughs> the first one. The first one he goes to, it turns out he's abusive. Oh right, and he's she, an abusive and she's, jerk, she, and she's planning to murder him. No, 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 no! You're getting this all confused. 
I, I, yeah, you I, could, are, I couldn't he, follow he goes, this one at all. Goes, no, I, I like this one a lot because yeah. there's a certain fatalistic element to this I thought was really great. Mm. He goes to this reality and he sees his wife who's wonderful and beautiful and then he is like fat and balding for some reason and abusive. So he kills his alternate self, pops up and agrees we're just going to be happy together and great. And then she like pulls open her head and she's mm. like some horrible creature she, she's a triffid oh. and then he gets shunted into another alternate reality where he's the one who died but it turns out she's the one who killed him and she starts chasing him around with a knife and then at every reality it's something mm. equally horrible it's never one where the only different it's not like that's the only thing that always bothered me in sliders there was only ever one reality where there are only tiny little differences uh-huh. like the very first episode just the hinge on his gate was on the other side or something it was like the only time it's all it should be if you think about it if the alternate reality is every time there's a little change there's mm. another reality most alternate realities are indistinguishable from our own right you know like you'd never know but like in, in like, this in this like one my they're wildly cousin different, is blonde yeah. like that's the big difference <laughs> you know but here everything is wildly different everything is horrible and George Newburn actually loses his mind and it's a little on the nose but they do at least give it a point unlike say the dream episode which doesn't really have one mm. George Newburn just says nothing matters <laughs> nothing matters well, it doesn't it, matter if it, she dies or I die nothing matters Matters. And then he ends up like trying to going insane, trying to kill his evil wife. And then another George George Newburn kills him uh-huh. so he can save his wife from the evil George Newburn. Uh, uh, there's another George Newburn who's also doing sort of the same shtick, and so they run into each other. Really? So, yeah. And only two episodes uh, of Cancel Too Soon. We've had like 80 George Newburns. <laughs> no, I, I, I think this one was a little sloppily filmed because there's a, a chase sequence where they're just sort of jumping from dimension to dimension. Yeah. And they, they were clearly had, you know, they didn't have the budget to do like dimension hopping so they essentially had the same set with different lighting on it well it was the and, same set it was their house uh, it was but they had like the same shot of the same hallway and they just yeah. changed the, I think the that set was decoration the joke. I think it was like that bit in Sam Raimi's movie Crime Wave where you just walk through one door after another for forever that was the joke but it was also clearly a way to cover up their low budget so <sighs> when the when the chase finally happened and they're going from hallway to hallway all I'm seeing is the same hallway over and over again and it doesn't have any sort of frantic action appeal it just sort of looks like various shots of the same hallway all right well tell me about uh, mm. our four, our number four fourth mm. best episode of perversions of science uh. boxed in directed by william shatner boxed in is uh, also another sort of comic farce uh kevin pollack is a, a spaceship captain of some sort in the d- distant future he's the only person aboard this uh frigate and he's waiting for news that the war is has progressed to a point where he can finally go home. His, his mission is really, really long. And his only company and the engineer on his ship is a very capable robot who is also a sex bot. He won uh, her in like a poker game. He, he won her in a poker game and he keeps her around because she's so good at fixing the ship. She wants to have sex with him because she's a sex bot. But he's promised his betrothed. Melanie Shatner, a little weird. Super weird <laughs> as the episode goes on. That he that he, he that he would remain faithful. And so he ha- does not have sex with the sex robot. In fact, he turns off the sex robot and like uh, yeah, disassembles every, it, puts it in a suitcase. Every time he gets horny, he turns it off and then at some point he just disassembles the robot, puts her in a suitcase and takes her takes her back with him. And yeah. finally he gets news the war from, is over. from the, the the war is over from General William Shatner playing pretty much himself. Yeah. And uh, he goes back home and 
and he starts making out with Melanie Shatner saying, oh, thank goodness, I finally want to have sex with you. And it's Kevin Pollack and he's really handsy and it's hilarious because he's Kevin Pollack. And uh, she she lifts up her skirt and says, well, I would, but until we're married, I have to wear this electronic chastity belt. He's like, oh, crap. Who who put that there? William Shatner put that there. Of course he did. And in, so, in two senses of that word. And so William Shatner and William Shatner's daughter leave and so he says, screw it, and he reassembles the sex bot. And says, we're going to have sex with the sex bot. And he starts having sex with the sex bot and then William Shatner's daughter calls and said, I found a way to turn off the chastity belt. While he's I'm, having sex with the sex bot. I'm coming over and so he's trying to figure out how to turn off the sex bot, but then the sex bot clamps down on his penis and it's just yeah. the torso of a sex bot well, as he's, he's flinging it around it's like, like a three he's company trying, episode gone horrifically wrong which is why i like it actually it's, <laughs> it's 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 like it's like this dark version of a sitcom but yeah he like starts he, he can't get the sex bot off of his body so he starts pulling off its arms and legs and head and it eventually has to wrap this t- <laughs> sex torso around his body and it's, like he puts a robe over himself and just says he's got gout no, or something like space gout i uh this sort of thing is what happened to all of the kids who were caught watching Tales from the Crypt. It's like, what do you want? No, nothing, no, nothing, Mom, no, nothing. This, no, 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 because here's the thing. There aren't that many episodes of Tales from the Crypt that you could masturbate to. This is what you would happen if you were caught watching Hot Springs Hotel. Oh, there you go. Hot Another Spr- show we'll get to on Cancel too soon. <laughs> or just, you know, ca- caught with a girly mag. You know, that, yeah. the, the, so if you it's, were caught in flagrante solo, uh-huh. uh, this was what happened. And uh, he, the, the big farce is that he's trying to hide this torso from his his beloved and she's Real trying fast, to get it hands on. hands in the air. Hands you don't have to say anything. Mm. Who who at this table was ever caught in flagrante solo? Oh, everybody. Okay. Come on. I was going to give you an out. I was just going to let everyone have a moment. Oh, okay. Be honest. You know, don't need to actually call it out. <laughs> we were all caught. It was super We were all caught. It was all embarrassing. It's, sorry, it's a rite of passage. If you haven't gone through that yet, you will. It's a rite of uh, passage for your parents, too, if you think about yeah. it. And, and that's something I get to look forward to with as, oh, as the fa- father of a son. You know, he's he's going to be 14 at some point. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the big solution is uh, William Shatner comes in and says, I know a way to solve this problem. I'm going to send you out on another mission. And this time he has nothing below the waist. And yeah, he's, he's, okay. like, he's got like a severed head in a spaceship, basically. Uh, yeah. Um, it's. It's a funny idea. It's not actually as well executed as I would have liked. I mm. feel like it, it, the timing is off or something. Like, everyone in it's clearly good. Right. Uh, the repeated shots of William Shatner directing his daughter as she reveals her underwear is really disquieting. <laughs> I'm sure it was harmless, but it's kind of weird. Mm. And it's a little like, I don't want to be in the room at that point in the episode. I don't know. Uh, it's okay. It's not my favorite. Uh, mm. But the last, the top three are... Really, really the great. top three are just r- good, good quality. Solid TV, uh, yeah. The first, the number three is Given the Air, which the, is really the only episode, really, honestly, the only episode that's genuinely perverse. It's genuinely perverse. It deals with a perverted, like this sort of weird moral idea. Yeah, and uh, and it has a great science fictiony twist that, frankly, I didn't see coming. Yes. So, uh, Yancey Butler plays a time traveler. Yeah. Well, uh, technically she the seduced, only she seduced Paul Williams uh who, was of, a, who, who, who invented wrote all the a Muppet time songs machine. to invent a time machine for her so she can go back in time and meet and, her ideal man. Who was essentially JFK Jr. He's this rich guy. Yeah. He's kind of built up a bit of a legend about himself and he died in a plane crash mysteriously. Mm. So she goes back in time to seduce the guy. But in the process, she, you know, raises a whole lot of red flags and he doesn't trust her. So they have incredible 
passionate, sexy sex. I'm sorry, it's young Nancy Butler. She's yeah. quite attractive. Uh, and he's not bad looking either, I guess. And uh, then, then it turns out that like she doesn't trust him or he doesn't trust her. And so he's going to kill her. But then he gets shot in the process. And it turns out... Yancey Butler was him in the future after he'd had a sex change operation and faked his death. And, and so, he's always been in love with himself, and he went back in time to have sex with himself. Uh, that That is such a great idea, isn't that it? That is a really great... About how a narcissist... Yeah. The, the, the ultimate goal of a narcissist is essentially to bone himself, right? Or herself, or, to be fair. But the only way he could have heterosexual sex with himself was to become a woman and go back in time to when they're both young and hot so he can... It, yeah, it's this really disturbing notion of the depths to which a narcissist will really go. Yeah. And you can see that in some people, can't you? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> and then, all they really want to do is boink themselves. Absolutely. And it's, you know, and this is, uh, this movie, this one was uh, written by Mark Verheiden, who would end up going on to help uh, reboot the Battlestar of the Galactica series, which is also very much mm. about science fiction sensuality. Uh, in a very intelligent way. It was directed by Ramon uh, Menendez, uh, who directed Stand and Deliver, which is an interesting sort of... Very very good film. Very, very good film. Not quite sure how I I see the connection offhand. Well, consider this. This is a film that deals... The only episode of this show that deals with character... Uh, above all else, I mean, some of the others are about characters, but this yeah, is about basically uh, about the examination of character and not necessarily story. That's a good point. And uh, I think the, I think the Jeremy maybe, London episode tried but failed. Uh, it, 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 I guess that was the other one that's about characters. It it's tried, not, it's to just be. bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this I guess so. When you have a you know sort of this. Str- director of a smaller drama he knows how to deal yeah. with character and he goes to the actual heart of the episode yeah this is a really really solid episode it's mm. but it's and it's and it's weird because again every episode of perversions of science takes place inside a boob <laughs> uh, and this is the only one that's actually kind of sexy and at the same time it's also kind of eh, well it, what i love it eh. about it is that it's sexy and it makes you kind of feel gross about it <laughs> yeah but it's still sexy like you never mm. lose the sexiness because mm. really What's the harm? But it's still well. The harm is you'll die here's, and not here, exist here, anymore. Here's the question: It would you do that? Would would you if you could travel back in time and have sex with yourself? Would you? Would you disguise yourself as a woman and have sex with yourself unwittingly, or do you announce I'm yourself from the future? I've had a sex change operation. Let's get it on. Why do I need to have a sex change operation to do this? Well, because you're a heterosexual man. You would have sex with your male self. Well, I'm not, I'm I'm. Curious enough. <laughs> okay. I'll give it a shot. I think it would be rude to whoever I'm dating at the time, whenever I go back in time to meet myself again, uh-huh. not to in- not to incorporate, you know, everybody. Give oh, okay. everyone a shot. <laughs> you know? That's the dream. Hey, girlfriend, have a threesome with me and, and me. me. <laughs> yeah. Who hasn't had that fantasy? Where there's two of your of your significant other. I'm just gonna put that. Just there enjoy that right there. Okay, away. we're gonna we're gonna Let's move go on. on to panic. Okay, now actually, so the t- for the top two episodes. The number two was my number one choice, oh. and the number one was your number one choice. So okay. I just want to say, Panic is my favorite perversions of science, and actually by far. All right, I love this episode. This is the epi- <laughs> this is one of the episodes I saw, and I thought it was a Tales from the Crypt episode because oh. it would have been a perfectly good Tales from the Crypt episode. Yeah, it was totally acceptable. Panic, written by Andrew Kevin Walker, the guy who wrote Seven. Uh, directed, directed by, by Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper, the guy who did Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And, and Poltergeist. And yeah. Poltergeist. This is actually one of his best things Toby Hooper's ever done after those two. Um, it is the story of Orson Welles. What else was he doing at this time? 90, not, the, the 90s were not 90, kind 96 to, was The Mangler. Around The Mangler. Yeah, yeah the 90s were not kind to Toby Hooper. 95 Hoopers. or 96. This, yeah. is, this is one of his better uh, uh, outputs at the time. 
Panic takes place uh, around the time of the War of the Worlds radio broadcast. The one that supposedly Only caused a mass... Hold on. Yeah. It supposedly caused a mass panic and convinced everyone that aliens are really invading. T- actually, that really didn't happen as bad as you thought, but so, so, it was bad enough yeah. that it created some newspaper headlines, but it really wasn't a mass hysteria. But the legend goes it created a mass hysteria. Panic takes place in a slightly alternate version of that, where Chris Sarandon is an alternate reality, Orson Welles, he's who's not, like Carson Lang or Car- something. His name is, I think it was Carson Wills, or, or it was yeah. Carson Walls, maybe. Yeah. Like, it sounded like Orson Welles. In any case, he does the fake uh, War of the Worlds uh, telecast. Aliens are invading. It's a ra- and then ra- it, radio broadcast. Yeah, and then it cuts to Jamie Kennedy and... And, and Jason Lee. And Jason Lee. Great, great pairing for the 90s. They're yeah, holding a, I'm a, not sure if this was before or after. Like, like it was after Mallrats. So yeah, we, that, we was had his, seen, that was his debut. We had seen Jason Lee and uh, Jamie this was Kennedy. the year after Scream. The year after Scream. Okay, so, so. This was a good time for both of those These actors. two guys were just on the rise. Yeah. They're, they're both hilarious. They're both the great way. in this episode. Mm. They're holding a Halloween party. Bunch of colorful characters and fun costumes, and everyone's hanging out. You're getting to know everybody. It's actually very well written. And then they hear on the radio. Aliens are invading, and everyone's like, oh no, what are we going to do? And the dread kicks in, and then Jamie Kennedy runs in with sharp implements and kills everyone but Jason <laughs> Lee. And then they take off their costumes, and they're like, they started the invasion without us. It's Why a, wouldn't they tell us? We've been undercover for years. That is a fantastic idea that... <laughs> so the, great! The panic, the, the panic caused by War of the Worlds hit the aliens that were undercover on Earth this whole time. It's a brilliant idea! And so uh, they start like getting in their car, trying to find out where the UFO has landed, not sure why they can't see all the panic yet. (laughs) And then it turns out that they get there, they start realizing it was a hoax, and they've blown their cover, and they're screwed. But then they're they're taken hostage by Harvey Corman and Lorraine Newman. (laughs) Yes, who also have arrived at the site thinking aliens have arrived, and thinking they've caught the aliens. Oh, and then, <laughs> and then there's an, then another they, twist. Then there's another twist. They take Jason Lee and Jimmy <laughs> Kennedy into what is essentially their sex dungeon. Yes. And the point, well, Harvey Corman is pointing a rifle, saying, "Hey, you know, we got this torture chamber for you." And any, anything Harvey Corman says is hilarious. By the way, oh, Harvey Corman is so funny. And they say, "Okay, now we're, we're, we're fixing to torture you." And they they like start strap them down to these beds and then Harvey Corman and Lorraine Newman remove their masks and like they're from Jupiter <laughs> and it says we are Jupiterians and then Chris Sarandon enters and pulls off his masks and says ah, our hoax worked we have flushed out the <laughs> enemy flushed out the enemy Martians hiding so, out on Earth so the Jupiterians can conquer Earth without without any competition. <laughs> Maybe one twist too many, but think, honestly, it's a really great episode. It, it was one toke over the line, but it's I'll, I'll so allow awesome. it because it's so energetic and it's such a great episode. It's really and, well and it's really, really hilarious. It's fantastic. It's, mm. it's one of my favorite things, period. <laughs> uh, but the number one, which mm. is my number two, but you're number uh. one. Uh, was Exile. Uh, the, Tell uh, us about Exile. Uh, Exile uh, takes place in uh, Dark Future. Uh, Jeffrey Combs, because of course. <laughs> uh, Jeffrey Combs, Ron Perlman, and uh, and David Warner were sure to show up on this show at some point, and they're all in one episode! <laughs> So Jeffrey Combs uh, plays a, a serial killer. He t- tortures and kills women. He's just this sick, dark, 
person. And he's captured by David Warner, a, a future shrink. And he tries to delve into this guy's mind. He tries to figure out what makes him tick. And it turns out he's kind of just a bad egg. He's somehow wired wrong. And all he yeah. longs for is death and destruction. He's full of rage. There was this idea uh, that was very popular in the 90s when like the horror genre kind of died and the serial killer genre took over. Mm-hmm. And which, there's a lot of overlap, but they're not necessarily the same thing. And there was this idea that was very popular after the whole Hannibal Lecter thing that maybe serial killers are beyond psychology. Yeah. And there's just no explanation well, to this, them. They're just these was, abominations of the it, mind. It, it was more of a realistic way of dealing with something like Michael Myers. You know, you look at Michael Myers, he's just evil. And Fun fact. William Malone, the director of the episode The Exile, designed the Michael Myers mask in the first Halloween. That's right, he did. Yes, he I didn't did. make that connection. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, well, yeah, so th- it's this sort of weird psychological study. Ron Perlman plays uh, another, a, inmate. A, another inmate who's like ends up being his bunkmate. Yeah. And you're not sure if he's part of the therapy, if he's another therapist, if he's just another guy. And uh, for a while, it looks like he might even be a hallucination. Like, I've seen that in science fiction shows before. Sure, that happened uh, on Star Trek Next. Uh, no, that happened on Deep Space Nine. That happened on Deep Space Nine. My apologies. That's, that's, that's Miles. My sincere apology. When Miles O'Brien went into that mind prison for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Golly, we're nerds. Uh, that was a great episode. That was a great episode. All right. But uh, it, he, tur- he ends up murdering Ron Perlman as well. It turns out whatever was going on there is just over. This guy has nothing but death on his mind. And they say, you know, we have one final therapy for you. There's only one thing we can do. Send you an exile. There's nothing yeah. we can do. We don't believe in the death penalty. We don't, we don't believe in the death penalty. And you can tell over the course of this episode that David Warner is coming to hate this guy more and more. Like, he doesn't yeah. really want to help well, him. Well, he disproves he wants his to... thesis that he, that people can be helped. Mm, right. That people can change. That people can be better than their worst natures. Mm-hmm. And, and Jeffrey Cooper's character proves him wrong. Proves him wrong. He's, which is frustrating. He's, he's essentially Alex DeLarge times 10. You know, he's yeah, just, basically. there's he's beyond help. So they yeah. said, we're going to send you into exile. And uh, when they're sort of getting him ready for exile, they're, they're shaving his face and they're brushing him and washing him. And uh, while they're shaving him, David Warner says, stop shaving him. It's like, why? Well, just leave that little that little bit. It's it, It'll just amuse me. It, yeah, it's just a stupid joke. It, it's it'll just make you funny. Stu- and then, and then they as, a- as they, they put him in a tube with a little window in front of his face, and they launch him down toward the exile planet, Earth, of course. And he looks and just like looks Hitler. Like Hitler, and it turns out he's Hitler. What a great twist. Didn't see it coming. Very clever. Big catharsis. Well, it turns really cool. out Hitler is an alien serial killer. Actually, a Makes really, sense now. There's a really cool <laughs> bit. There's a really, really cool bit at the beginning of it, because when they the opening of the exile, they catch Hitler. Mm. Yeah. Which I assume is his real name. I don't even think they give his real name. His name is Hitler. Yeah. They catch Hitler, and Hitler is like basically a, a Nazi mad scientist, and he's kidnapped someone, and he's trying to make her eyes blue. And he's been uh, killing people trying to make their eyes blue. That's just like a serial killer thing. His kink, yeah. That's his kink. <laughs> and I'm just like, because uh, that was weird and surreal, but I didn't put it together that that was a Hitler thing. And like, <laughs> yeah, me neither. And yet at the same time, the reason why this wasn't my number one was when you find out it is Hitler, uh-huh. there's a part of me that just wants to slap somebody. Like, oh, come it's on. It's like a bad pun. Like, oh, cu- seriously? Ah! Yes. Because there's a part of me that, like, it's fun. At the same time, reducing Hitler to a space monster kind of 
runs the risk of missing the point of Hitler. But the like, you know, like what the, we can the, take the, from Hitler. The you know, episode like, is, a, is about Hitler's psychology and about how this guy was just a, a more or less a serial killer. That's the thesis of the movie. We looked at Hitler, we analyzed him from afar from the '90s and saw the exact same psychoses that we looked at when we saw all those serial killers and all those serial. But killer it's movies. not really that psycho. It's not that psychological. As I said, it's not the psychology of a serial killer who's so far gone mm. that there is no psychology. It actually avoids psychology at every possible turn and just says he is hopelessly My, evil and I don't think that's very useful they're, they're drawing a parallel between what we knew of serial killers in the 90s and Adolf Hitler Sure, and I'm not. That's sa- a that's a fine interpretation. It's I fine. It's a yeah. good episode. I'm just explaining why it wasn't my favorite. Okay. I just feel like it was a little cheap. Okay, um, but it, at the same time, it's very satisfying. And Jeffrey Combs is great. <laughs> Jeffrey Combs is great, and everything. everyone's yeah. great. And David Warner's great. Ron Perlman's great. It's a great episode. I really, really liked who, it. A who lot. are we missing from this show? I, I'm, I feel like because we oh, had Jesus. Vincent Chevelli, we're missing like yeah. Tony Todd. I guess J.T. Walsh. J.T. Walsh should have been on the show. I think he was beyond a show like this. But yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Bob Gunton. We needed Bob Gunton on this show. We never saw him. Um, uh, David Paymer should have shown up at one point. Yes, we never got David Paymer. Definitely David Paymer. Oh my <laughs> god! Uh, we needed at least one of the other like horror like actors like mm-hmm. uh, Robert Englund or oh, to play like not Freddy Krueger, but like something like that. Mm-hmm. You know. Kane Hodder should have shown up. I kind of expected capacity. John Cassier, who played the voice of the Crypt Keeper, to show up just that to sort of fun. bridge things, but there wasn't waited. any overlap between this and Tales from the Crypt. Aside from the directors, I mean, that's yeah. some of the actors are probably in more than one thing. Yeah, I guess you can't really have overlap with anthology episodes. Not really. Um, and that's that's the entire run of the show. It yeah. only ran the ten episodes. Uh, and so I think I know the answer, at least mm. your answer, was uh, Perversions of Science canceled uh, too soon. Uh, yes, it was. Uh, well... The bulk of these episodes weren't that great. Uh, th- those three were I'd very say about half were solid. Ha- ha- a couple were solid. Two or three were very good. The rest were pretty disposable. Yeah. And I think can- I think uh, perversions of Sp- science didn't get the chance to get good. It was canceled before it could really sort of launch and do something really great. And mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of potential here. And uh, yeah, so I think it was canceled too soon. I think it deserved a chance to really hit its stride. Yeah, I think um, as with any anthology series, it's going to be hit or miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless there's one hand very clearly guiding it who has a very cohesive viewpoint, like The Twilight Zone. There's only a couple of bad episodes of The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. And even the not great episodes are still quite good. Because <laughs> uh, it's all Serling. Because it's all Serling. It was either he was writing it himself or very carefully producing it. And he was working with people like Richard Matheson. and they're all geniuses. Mm. This is more of a crapshoot. And they're dealing with, let's be honest, there's some schlocky material here. The old DC comics, while they were fun, mm. they weren't all well, brilliant. They were very blunt. The thing and is, they don't always necessarily make good stuff. Tales from the Crypt dealt with blood, gore, nudities, things that were very base and prurient. Yeah. So you could get away with a kind of schlocky tone. But sci-fi and is based sci- on ideas. Sci-fi is, yeah, enters the realm of something that's much more intellectual. It's not prurient. And, uh, you can throw in prurient stuff, but you either have to do just prurient stuff yeah. or do just intellectual stuff. Otherwise, you run the risk of sort of doing what this show did in the first season. And I think that's the problem. Rotating through tone really fast. I think that's the problem is it didn't have enough of a clear sense of identity. Mm. Chrome set you up for something that, frankly, most of these episodes weren't even remotely interested in. Mm. It was a very scattershot. So I'm going to say this. As a fan... Of ever a lot of people involved, and of some of these episodes in particular, mm. I would have liked to have seen more because I would have liked to have seen the show find itself. Yeah, 
As an executive, this show is dead. <laughs> this show got off on the wrong foot. We can try doing something like it again in the future, but this was just like exactly the wrong way to start what should have been a hit franchise, and we need to do it all over again. And what we need to really do is reboot The Outer Limits. Oh, wait, let's do that. And so yeah, they did, and, and, and it was great. They rebooted The Outer Limits. Uh, but although I, the reboot of The Outer Limits was a few years before this. I realize that, but uh, my point is, is that The Outer Limits, even the reboot of the series, which wasn't consistently the, great, was at least consistent. And when was the, that reboot of The Twilight Zone, the one with uh, well, Forrest Whitaker? Oh, that was like early 2000s. Yeah, so that was yeah. after this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Twilight Zone was... And they're doing another Twilight Zone now from the creator of Bioshock, the video game. Oh, God. Which is actually... Okay, no, so, no, that's a very well-told story. Bioshock, the video game? That guy knows his shit. That could be really amazing. Okay. Yeah. I'm just rolling my eyes because this will be the fourth iteration of the Twilight Zone. There's really... But here's the thing. Twilight Zone is like Batman. It can take it. It is permanently rooted in the public consciousness. When something weird happens, your first thought is, oh, it's like the Twilight Zone. Mm. Boom. The Twilight Zone can take another permutation. It's fine. Perversions (laughs) of Science was messed up. So I'm gonna say it was it wasn't canceled too soon. I think one season was a good at- attempt. I think it should, have, <laughs> it should have come out swinging a little harder. Theoretically, if it had gone on longer, I'm sure there would have been episodes I liked. Mm. But I'm gonna say it wasn't canceled too soon. All right. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening uh, to Cancel Too Soon, uh, where it turns out sometimes things are canceled too soon. Yeah. No, they're maybe not. Uh, next, they're next not, time they're not all stinkers. Next time, well, yeah. next time I cancel too soon. We're going to be uh, looking at uh, a, a, a listener, listener request. request. Yeah, uh, if you're the listener, I haven't looked it up. We've had so many listener requests, I haven't like categorized it very, very we've, well. We've had about a hundred listener requests. Oh it's, yeah, it's been insane. From the same, from like two listeners too. It's not, <laughs> no, we've had a lot. No, from a lot. So, everyone people, has their favorite. Some people have, have written in like here's five. Oh wait, here's four more. Oh wait, here's eight more. It's like yeah. okay, okay, okay. We have a long okay, list. We got a long list. If our, our dream is to get to literally everything, well, we but we'll will. be dead before that happens, so we'll see. Um, the next episode of Cancel Too Soon is a listener request for Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Wars. Uh, yeah, we're going to stray into uh, early 90s Saturday morning animation, and uh, yeah. we're going to be talking about how... Uh, and- I think animation life cycles are different than live action life cycles. Uh, I think one season is longer in terms of uh, it, well, it really of animated de- shows. It really depends. It really depends. Uh, and Bucky O'Hare the, is a, the weird is, milieu that this this TV yeah. show called Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Wars came out of. Yeah, uh, known as Bucky O'Hare and the Toad conflict i think in uh, in canada uh, or is the toad menace the toad menace bucky o'hare right. and the toad menace anyway in uh, you can find like a whole bunch of clips of bucky o'hare and the toad wars uh, on youtube mm. i believe they also came out with a dvd set i'm not sure if it's still in print uh so you can follow along with that if you want or play the super nintendo game <laughs> yes or read the <laughs> comics it's based on a comic mm. uh you can follow along with that uh you can uh please go to our facebook page like our facebook page mm-hmm. follow us there what uh, the most important thing you can do is if you like this show and you want to hear more of it, the most important thing you can do is go to iTunes and hit subscribe and give us a rating. We prefer a nice one, but be honest. We will yeah, always let, say be honest. Write a review. That's the way we proliferate. Yeah, that's the way more people find the show. The more reviews the show gets, the more people are able to find it on iTunes when they look for different podcasts. So please leave us a review. It helps immensely, especially in these early days. We've had a great response so far, but we want to get bigger and broader. We've got some really cool people who want to come in, uh, other critics, other uh, celebrities who want to come in and talk about their favorite One Season Wonders, and even some TV producers of One Season Wonders (laughs) who we are currently emailing with, and they're going to come on and we're going to talk about their shows. The, the, The great thing about shows that lasted not long enough is somebody out there watched that and they're upset that it's 
it's gone. Oh, so yeah. we're, we're going to get to every single one of those, God willing. Yes. So uh, thank you again for listening. You can follow us at B-Movies Podcast. Uh, I'm at Whitney Seibold. I'm at William Bibiani. Uh, you can listen to the B-Movies Podcast for our weekly movie news. Mm-hmm. Uh, we I'm, also- I'm on Instagram now. I just I, I well I got my first smartphone like I'm I finally caught up with 15 years ago because that's the way my my clock works. I remember when and Whitney I have an Seibold, Instagram account. I remember when Whitney Seibold got his first cell phone. That's right. A couple of years couple ago. A couple of years ago. My, and my mom forced it into my hand. She's like you you need a phone. Here you were trapped phone. at Comic-Con <laughs> without a cell phone. I wasn't trapped. I was free. <laughs> I was free at Comic-Con that's without not, a cell phone. That is not how that's not how that's not how it played out when you couldn't get home. Well, that's true. I was, I, <laughs> that I was, was a rough night for everybody. Up. We were all very worried about you. So I'm glad you have a cell phone now. Because when you get when, next time you get in an accident on your bike, you'll be able to dial 911. Mm. You poor bastard. And then I'll bleed out on the sidewalk either way. Anyway, Buck Your Hair and the Toad Wars. B-Movies Podcast on iTunes. Please subscribe. Facebook. Do the thing. And uh, listen to all of our friends in the podcasting universe. Uh, Linoleum Knife, uh, Dave Wine and Lance Roll, they've been some of our biggest supporters. A lot of our listeners came over from Linoleum Knife. Thank you for coming over. They do the Linoleum Knife podcast for all of their movie news, but they also have LKTV for all of their TV and they, reviews. Yeah, and they, that's subscription only, but it is so great. Th- those guys want it. Those guys watch a lot of TV, part, <laughs> partly for the show, but just not just part of their lives. Yeah. And they review just pretty much all of the new shows. Yeah. Like just all of the stuff they're watching i'm amazed that they have the time uh, yeah Yeah, i don't have the time and i i'm also doing the basically the same thing Mm. uh they're wonderful they're sprightly and i love them (laughs) uh and uh we'll give more shout outs john pavlich uh from uh sofa dogs so does commentary tracks free commentary tracks for movies and television um, he's a big he's, a, he's a big he's, Joss Whedon fan, so he's yes. done most of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel, I believe. Yes, at this and point. recently he had Tim Minear on uh, to do a commentary drive with him for an episode of Angel. So he gets really good stuff. Go check him out; he's great. Um, and uh, we'll be back in uh, another two weeks to do another uh, to do Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Wars. Uh, thank you again for listening. And uh, thanks. Sit, sit, boo, boo, sit. Uh, uh, I made this. Yeah.